On today's episode, we have Ro and Jim Dodgen joining us again. We're going to be having an honest conversation about sex, and so if you are underage or not mature enough, or your parents don't want you listening, or whatever it is, if, if you just don't feel comfortable hearing a conversation about sex and some sexual activity and some things of encouragement and expectations within the sexual relationship, then might this might be the time to just turn off this episode. Um, but it's going to be a really good episode. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into the nitty gritties of it. Um, and I think it'll be really beneficial for a lot of you who are listening. So let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm sitting here again for the third time with third Ro and time, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the last episode, I think, of this season and maybe of the whole whole project. We'll see what happens, but I, this might be the last one. But since this is the last one, we're getting down to it. We're having an honest conversation about sex, and Ro and Jim are so thrilled to just share about their sex lives and their ideas <laughs> of sex uh, podcasts that goes out <laughs> to plenty of people. Um, so we're going to have a good time. Thank God this is not a video cast, right? <laughs> I think that'd be considered pornography, yes, so yeah. here we are. Um, so yeah, before we get into that, maybe could you just give us a short introduction? Most of the people who are listening probably know who you are at this point, uh, but maybe just a short intro and then you could kind of give a disclaimer about why we're talking about sex. Okay. So let me, let me start. So, <laughs> I mean, you're going to, but, but so who you are. yeah, Jim Dodgen <laughs> and, and Ro and I've been married for 44 years. Um, and it's been a journey to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, particularly, since 95, a journey that I would uh, say has been pretty amazing, not easy. Not, nothing, mar- marriage and sex and all this is, is not easy. But uh, anyway, we, we, we have our own practice. I have a, I'm a current coach, and she's a spiritual director, and, and she teaches at uh, school, and or she's an adjunct professor and all that. But we do some work together, uh, and it's really work around helping people and couples uh, engage in the process of telling the truth to each other and figuring mm-hmm. out what's true about me mm-hmm. and being able to articulate the truth about ourselves. Okay. And so whatever whatever we do, it's generally focused on that process, which is probably why we're here, why we this is number three, because mm-hmm. we really are we we really are committed to telling the truth and. S- Really figuring out what the truth is about us, and then helping others uh, mm-hmm. do the same. So well, and Ro keeps on saying yes to come back. So yeah. it's kind of Ro's fault, you yeah. know, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so Ro's gonna. So the tell. other part about ourselves and who we are is we've been working with Treasures for twelve years. Jim as part of, uh, on the board, and and Treasures is an outreach to women in the sex industry coming out of uh, exploitation strip clubs, pr- prostitution, sex trafficking. And so over the years, we have sat with a lot of couples that have, one or another has struggled with pornography or has, the wife has been in the sex industry and that has deeply wounded their ability to be in marriage and, mm-hmm. and have a, a relationship with one another. And uh, when we started doing premarital counseling, we recognized that people want to talk about whether they're having sex successfully after they're married successfully successfully <laughs> sex successfully successful i have a really sex. bad maybe that's, cold, what so. maybe that's what i'll title this is successful sex <laughs> probably not no. so we try to have those honest conversations and and even people our own age are struggling in different ways and they have a harder time being honest but yeah so that's a that's who we are well and so let me just say again that since 1995 and that's part of our story um 
we 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 just were able to start we started talking about sexual issues and sex in general uh to each other and then to whoever mm-hmm. i mean we, we just were not afraid of the question or the answer and mm-hmm. or the words or or just talking about it so mm-hmm. where other where, where we really haven't found that we haven't found places where people are willing to talk about sexual issues yeah in a general way people really shy away from them yeah and they're not comfortable it's and don't get me wrong it's not comfortable talking about sex but mm-hmm. we're willing is mm-hmm. the only thing i'd say mm-hmm. and and just to put it out there, I yeah. Mean, um, because we, I know, we know that it's got to talk about this stuff really mm-hmm. in order for it to really. But anyway, but she's you've got sort of a context. To, well, and I think people are comfortable talking about sex, just not when it comes to their own, yeah, right, <laughs> their own yeah, story. Like yeah. they could talk about it as a concept, maybe. Yeah. But when you have to you know, use concept and then synergize your own story, or your own experience, and to make it a more holistic way of yeah. talking about it, that's when people get really scared. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we are here is, as we look at our own history as a married couple, um, we have seen the different stages we've gone through. And so I thought I would kind of outline those stages we've gone through. So we'll begin with the early stage uh, childhood where we both experienced sexual abuse and um, difficulties with our parents either not seeing us or abusing us in some way. And then um, going into a sexually active stage where we're acting out sexually from a place of, of really not understanding our own brokenness and our own woundings. And then we both were believers and walking with the Lord to a certain degree. And then we became married. And we were sexually active before we were married with one another. And we were passionate about sex. But then when we got married... Uh, I didn't want sex and Jim wanted it but he had to find it through pornography and so there was a a deep brokenness in how to respond to each other and we had no idea how what was going on and nobody was talking to us and our pastors were not trying to help us unpack our stories Mm -hmm. and then we moved to California in 90 and and then 95 was an awakening and we talk about that the other podcast. I, I won't mm-hmm. go into that. Jim mm-hmm. just mentioned it. But in that process, we began to understand how we were shaped to be sexual beings, and that had to be unpacked so we could have somewhat of a healthier perspective on sexuality and have a better sex life. And in the process of understanding that, um, we really had to unpack the trauma that's been done to our bodies and mm-hmm. and who we are today and that yeah. has been the journey since 95 and there's been a lot there was a point where um, emotional connection spiritual connection was happening at a level that was amazing and that's where you know the sexual um, connection was happening and a lot of good things began to happen mm-hmm. so that's kind of has been our journey and and I would say that the other reason why I'm here, I mean that she's she that she that's what she just said is why we're here because of our story. But I also think that um, it, it's time that we learn how to tell the truth mm-hmm. uh, about you know ourselves. Um, 
I, I just don't. I think we show up in small group or wherever we show up, you know, in in the particularly in the Christian world, and you know, everything is either fine, you know, mm-hmm. how, how are, you, are you? I'm fine. fine. <laughs> oh, good, great. Yeah, week. <laughs> you know, um, but I, I've, you know, I can't tell you, Colton, how many times I've wanted to ask somebody. So, how many times have you had sex this week? Mm-hmm. A, a married couple. Mm-hmm. I have not been able to really find a place for that question yet yeah. in my well that'd be kind of weird in small group it is like, it hey is. how many times you had sex week? tell me now <laughs> but i mean if but it really does it's an indicator yeah if you know either either you're having sex or you're not or you're or it's so i mean if if you ask the average person average average christian couple how many times a month you have the sex they might once. on average it would say once yeah so that's 12 times a year mm-hmm you know, and wow, that's not very often, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, and then the question underneath that, and of course, Ro and I always talk about this, what's underneath that? Mm-hmm. That's why the question is so compelling and, and actually interesting, because if you just are honest with me, then then we can actually start to unpack, well, why? What's happening? Yeah. Why are yeah. you not having yeah. sex more than once a month? I mean, and, and so... Again, for the for the for the purpose of learning to tell the truth and, and mm-hmm. to be honest with people and those who people around us who really care about us in our in our community. If we're gonna really have community then you should know about my sex life. You should know mm-hmm. how I'm functioning, mm-hmm. how this is functioning, how this how mm-hmm. we as a couple are functioning. Yeah. And, and or if we're not. And it could tell us a lot. You yeah. Know, so I had Dr. John Lundy on, if you know who that is, um, and we kind of <laughs> walked through a theology, sexuality, and, and different things, but he was really harping on your sexual life is really a good kind of reflection yeah. or a gauge of yeah. other things, and that doesn't always have to be the case, um, but normally that's why you ask the question, how many times are you having sex? Not because you're so consumed with couples having tons of good sex, but right. because right. that normally can be kind of an appearing end to like, how are yeah. you doing emotionally? How are you connecting yeah. spiritually? Because like you guys were saying, it, it often follows. Yeah. Um, and so if you're only having it once a month, there's no shame in that. But is that because it's just circumstances or is that because there's not connection? You know, so let's just jump into this. So, you know, <laughs> and Rose shaking her head. No, <laughs> she's not ready yet. She wants some more. So we've, we, in the last couple of months, we've had a really kind of a rough time. Of it. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister died and... Um, you know, it was, it was, that's my, the second sibling that I've lost in three years mm-hmm. to cancer. And yeah. so, and, and Mary Lou, it was hard uh, for, to watch her pass away. And, and then, so the trip back to Kansas to the uh, Missouri for the funeral and all that. And then, and then there's just lots of things that are, that are going on. And maybe, you know, maybe we've had sex once a month mm-hmm. in the last three or four months. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, that's, yeah. It's just because of the circumstances. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of trauma or a lot of things to unpack. And so it's the, it's one of the last things maybe you, or it's just tough to do. You know, I, yeah. hey, man, I'm, I don't even have the capacity to, mm-hmm. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even access what's really going on in my heart, let alone yeah. try to please you sexually. Yeah. I, mean, I have a lot of friends. I mean, it's Biola, you graduate, you get married, yada, yada. But as Christian couples are nowadays, yeah. before they get married, they're still having sex. Um, and so a few of my friends were having, and most of them who were having sex pretty regularly before they got married, 
this has all pretty much been the case where they're having less sex now right. after getting married than they did when they were dating beforehand. And I think some of that's due to just there's mm-hmm. less of the passion. There's less yeah. of the promiscuity of it. There's less of the thrill of, like, we're going to get caught <laughs> kind of thing. Right. But it still is like, okay, maybe what's underneath that? Mm-hmm. Um, is there something underneath that? Yeah. Is it just because the passion of doing something risky is gone, um, which is interesting if you want to dive into that as well. But there's a lot underneath that. So I guess – before we get into even maybe some of the other things, because we have a lot we want to cover, but we won't get to everything. Um, speaking of those couples, speaking of your own journey, and you guys, I mean, you've been mentoring and talking about sex with couples for 24, almost 25 years now, um, which is pretty much the same age as most people who are listening to this podcast. And so not to age you guys, but to show people listening, like you guys have been talking this more than maybe even were a thought in their parents' minds. Um, before their parents even had sex and had them, uh, you guys have been talking about this honestly. So what do you guys think are maybe the common expectations Christians take into their sexual marital relationship? What are the ones maybe you have come across? What are the ones you think are true? What are the, what are kind of the expectations you think most Christians have, whether good or bad? Mm-hmm. I, I think that our society has uh, framed what they think the sexual act is going to look like after they get married or even before they are married. And we have such a high amount of, of males and females looking at pornography. They may have an idea of what it would look like mm-hmm. from their porn experience, and that's not true either. Mm-hmm. And so I think they have the wrong idea of that sex is easy. You get married. You do it. <laughs> Both of you have an orgasm at the same time, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful, and everybody's happy. It's just like the notebook. You know. It's not that way at all. <laughs> yeah. In fact... Uh, it's a, it's shocking how Hollywood almost always portrays sex as easy, mm-hmm. and everybody comes to an orgasm mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. That is just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not even that; it's just secular culture. Yeah. Christian pastors are saying if you just wait and don't have sex until you're married, yes, then it's going to be the Hollywood experience. Yeah. It's yes. saying, hey, we affirm the Hollywood experience as truth. Yes. We're just adding a parameter to wait yeah. to have until you're married. But I think we're affirming the wrong thing. Absolutely. Yeah. People are not recognizing that there has to be a, an emotional connection, at least for a woman, for her to relax and enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. Although she may not have that before she's married. And there might be um, a season where they just are physically pleasing each other just to do that for the fun mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But there, there's always going to be a deeper need in our mm-hmm. hearts and our souls the way God has created us. So mm-hmm. um, that's where it becomes more complex in a committed relationship, a covenant mm-hmm. marriage, because now you're with each other all the time. <laughs> and you might yeah. not like it that yeah. your husband dresses like a slob or <laughs> your husband... Um, um, you know, there's all kinds Drinks of things. Drinks too many see. beers with his boys. <laughs> watches football instead of communicating. You know, absolutely. A plethora of things, and I, I mean, or I think, the wife goes shopping all the time. Yeah, or she's, she's um, leaves the. You know, they both leave the dishes out. They realize. Yeah, yeah, so many different things, and I mean, I think. <laughs> When I think of like, well, girls need an emotional connection before they have sex. And normally the narrative is that guys don't. And I, I think there's some <clears throat> yeah. truth to women's brains being more emotionally oriented than males. But most of the guys I know who are pretty attuned with their emotions, they also can't have sex yeah. unless there's an emotional connection. I mean, they could. They can shut it off because they're better at turning off all their emotions and yeah, just doing right. with it. Absolutely. But I have a lot of friends who I know are pretty emotionally healthy and they're in the early stages of their marriage. and they had a fight or something happened and he wasn't fully resolved, but she was resolved. 
and she was like ready to then have sex and make up and he's like i i can't i'm sorry like i love you there's nothing wrong with this like but i'm just not there like we just had a little fight it's not severe it's not going to break anything but like i just can't um so i think i think it's still true that women still need it maybe a little bit more than men just because of how our brains are wired but I think that's because we have so many men that are so disconnected from their emotions that it just yeah. becomes a physical carnal act. And they're good at that because that's all they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, so what what other expectations um, about the marriage bed, about sex, do you think couples take in? Are there any good ones that you've, like, in your premarital counseling, <laughs> have you come across any any good couples' expectations that are rooted in the church, not rooted in their own study? Well... Um, that's a good question. I, I, I think the good ones is when a couple is willing to recognize that this is a, a road to submission to one another and understanding the complexity of the sex act, that everything is present in sex, meaning your, your past. And so let's say a woman has been raped mm-hmm. and she thinks she's healed from it. And then she gets married, and now she's having sex for the first time since that rape, and her body can't respond. Yeah. So in in um, that situation, I think I'm getting away from your question. But no, that's good. But we have to understand that we have so much that's being brought into the marriage mm-hmm. situation and the marriage bed. And even subconscious, like even yeah. if her body's not responding, she not may not be actively thinking exactly. this is triggering my experience of being raped, but her body is subconsciously yeah. doing it for her. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't know your story and if you don't know, yeah. you don't have honesty and you don't have truth, yeah. then it's just going to be all the subconscious inhibitors that's just going to create stress. Yeah. And anger, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, most of the time we don't have that kind of conversation with couples. Mm-hmm. What are what are what was your question again? What are like what, good what are good things expectations yeah. you have yeah. for sex? Well, well uh, but I I would say that when we have the conversation, if we when we're doing premarital, we save the sex conversation for. Num- number six that's the last okay. one right don't want to get them too yeah, you know, right before they get married <laughs> <clears throat> and then and then we follow up a month later after they're uh-huh. married and say how's it going you know because mm-hmm. it's usually there's it's like crappy and <laughs> what to, do you mean it's, it's the greatest yeah, week of their yeah, lives yeah. so but i but you know when i'm telling them so we she takes the woman and i take the guy off and we have this conversation and and i would say for me the good thing is is that um there's nothing like watching a woman have an orgasm. I mean, mm-hmm. there is nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and to be able to have one woman, you can watch that happen. Mm-hmm. And it because it, and it's it's I wouldn't say it's different every time, but it has a lot of similarities. I mean, but but it's just pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. And that's really good. I yeah. mean, I I I would rather watch her have an orgasm than I, I really don't care about mine yeah. as much. Well, I I mean it. Thinking of porn, I think there's a lot we can learn from porn. It's a terrible industry. There's a lot of bad things. But the, even in the psychology of how they're filming things, um, I mean, I've been studying porn a lot just because of my own story, because of helping others. But the reality of porn is that sometimes there's shots where it's just the woman's face. Yeah. And it's like if porn is just this carnal thing they're trying to do, then why aren't they just showing the naked body parts or whatever? Yeah. But they're showing a woman's face of pleasure, of orgasm yeah. in porn because they know there's something in our in our psychology 
that desires that. Yeah. And so, I mean, even in the terrible aspects of what porn can be and how yeah. terrible it is and what the women are going through and how they're faking everything. <laughs> in a way, uh, right, yeah. But there is something even in that we can learn of like, there's something in our psychology that desires to see the other pleased right. um, rather than just this carnal physical act. Right. Um, but there's something in that that we actually want to see them pleased. You know, and so there, in, in that regard, there's in some ways also there, there's a biological need, you know, that we all have to have that release. And, and so I think the good thing is, is that when aside from all the connection, particularly if it's if the emotional and spiritual connection is there, and then you have this sexual orgasm on top of that, mm-hmm. then then you can look at that and you go, oh, wow, this is, mm-hmm. that was really good. Mm-hmm. That was, it's like going on a good run. Mm-hmm. I'm not a runner, but anyway. I mean, but <laughs> you can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, where you, where a lot of things happen chemically mm-hmm. in your body that are really good for you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's part of, I think, the, the marriage relationship that is really good. For well, sure. I mean, even in, I played basketball my whole life when my team was like having team breakfasts and dinners <clears throat> and we were hanging out outside yeah. of the games and we had that connection when we got to the physical act of practice and games, yeah. it was so much more pleasurable. And this is a, a very different than what sex is because of hormones and different things. Yeah. But there is something when we feel more connected emotionally, we feel more connected relationally. When we go into a more physical act, it's not just supposed to be physical, but it's supposed right. to be almost an overflowing right. into that. Um, so I guess a question, and, and I would could, I would also say that that uh, the next day after a good session, s- sexual session, uh, is is better. I mean, mm-hmm. conversations are better. There's mm-hmm. it's just better. I mean, well, and even the chemicals in your brain are yeah. all built in as a yeah. reward system yeah. to make sure, like, it's so that you have sex, it's so that it's good, it's right. <laughs> to make you want to do it more. more. Yeah. So it's crazy, even how our minds are built with a reward mechanism in it. Right. That when you have sex, it makes you want to have it more. Right. Um, well, when you have good sex, it makes you have it more. Uh, but I guess a question, which most people know the answer to this, but I think it's still important to address: Is sex anything like porn? Um, like in your marital sexual lives, is sex anything like porn? Um, like, is it this, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Is it this fast paced, you know, passionate, pleasurable, you don't even need to say anything. It just happens. Um, or is it something different? <laughs> well, I haven't looked at much porn, so I, I don't good. know that I can answer that. Hollywood, just think of your Hollywood sex scenes. Porn is just an exasperated, yeah. exponentially more graphic version of that. I think as I watch the messed up women from Treasures who've come out of shooting porn, um, that it's not like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting that you talk about the face because we are really... Reading a person's face is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Learning to connect with a person, and um, porn is is a is not real. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fake uh, filming in a in a situation where people are being paid to do something. But we know now for a fact that most porn has a traffic victim involved, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult to think of that as an actual mm-hmm. that has anything to say about the actual experience of sex, except mm-hmm. for we know that male and female come together and they can have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What would you say? You know, I no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, in that, if you're looking at porn, you're 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 
I mean, it looks easy. It looks like, you know, it just looks too easy. And, and there's really the amount of work that's involved work. It's work. I mean, it's, it's energy, it's effort, Mm -hmm. care, you know, all the, that goes into it is not portrayed in a, in a porn. Well, even the tenderness aspect of sex is really not portrayed in porn. If anything, porn is the opposite. Opposite, There's not the tender, tenderness of it. I mean, it, thinking of porn and we'll move on from porn but i think porn is helpful because one this is our main educator of kids yeah. um, not helpful in the sense of it's actually helpful but helpful to talk about because it's the main educator of kids yeah um but there's something about even me i, I mean I've, I've seen probably hours of porn at this point more than i'd like to admit yeah. um but the reality is the more i talk to friends the more i study sex the more i actually hear from couples i know little to nothing about what yeah. sex actually is or what it requires for an orgasm or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know female anatomy, although I've seen female bodies. Yeah. And there, there's something about porn where it makes you think as a male that vaginal penetration, just because of your penis basically, is what re- is what is good enough for sex. Yeah. Because it's you're just that good. That's <laughs> what porn is trying to present. And I know, I mean, the reality is I, I think this, this study, I can't confirm it, but about 50% of women can't experience orgasm on just like vaginal penetration alone. Like that's just a reality. Yeah. Um, and so there's an aspect of this where it's like porn is our main educator for most kids nowadays. Some doctors you even said before we recorded are even like saying, yeah, go learn from that. But even in that, even if you're a secular person, you're not a Christian, you don't have anything morally against porn. You should be sexually against it because it's not even teaching mm-hmm. sex yeah. like at all. I mean, anyone who's having sex and trying to claim it's like porn, they're a liar. <laughs> like they're, they're just a liar. And if they are having sex like that, then they're probably not having actual good, committed, tender sex, loving sex. It's probably just this vicious physical yeah. act. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's important to talk about it because that's one of the big narratives. I mean, most Christians would say sex isn't like porn. We know that. But then it's like, well, I don't know anything then. Because sex was, or porn was my only educator. Mm-hmm. So I guess another another narrative we want to talk against or just talk about is do men only enjoy sex? Is this kind of a male-dominated aspect of a relationship that men only enjoy it and females generally enjoy it or don't enjoy it? And they're kind of just there for the ride or along for the journey. Um, Ro, what would, you, <laughs> what would you say to that? Well, I would say uh, females enjoy it just as much as males do. And I don't think we're more complicated than men. Um but I do think our world has really messed up our idea of what relationship looks like. And um, and I, when you were just talking about porn, one of the things in the sex industry is almost all the women have had their breasts um, done because, you know, in porn, mm-hmm. supposedly you have to have big breasts to please a man. And well, and man they have to, to be have... tucked up. They can't be droopy or sagging, right. which isn't realistic. But Absolutely. It, yeah. The body image is really portrayed in a way that is very demeaning to women. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many things that come into what, whether you're going to enjoy it or not. And one of them is if a man thinks you need to look a certain way. And mm-hmm. we've, we've, we have um, mentored a lot of couples where the man has definitely wanted their wives to look a certain way. And mm-hmm. he's got to have to work through where that's come from mm-hmm. in order for them to have a, a true relationship but yeah, women enjoy sex. <laughs> <laughs> but the body image thing is big because I've been thinking a lot of just when I was early twenties and what you're looking for in a spouse, and 
you you say all the emotional ones, love Jesus, whatever, but it's always like, well, they need to be a certain level of attractive, which I mean, there's still an aspect of, I think physical attraction is important. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, do you think if your wife was hotter that you would be happier? Or do you think if your husband was more, you know, handsome that you would be any happier? Is that really the problem here? I mean, most people would maybe say, yeah, they might say, I I think so, but Look at celebrities. They're the hottest people in the world, and none of them are happy. They're cheating on their beautiful spouses. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something about, like, it's not just about how hot you are and how great of sex you can give in terms of your physical body. Yeah. It's not going to lead to fulfillment because um, mm-hmm. Hollywood's a perfect example or a counterexample of that. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I think something that Jim and I have said to each other and said to many couples over the years is there's nothing sexier than a deep connection that you feel with someone and I mean mm-hmm. Jim and I don't have bodies like 20 year olds anymore and I mean you guys are pretty close so <laughs> but, but we, <laughs> we, we to the most part we don't see each other's bodies anymore we, yeah. we still we love each other and we enjoy each other and um, it's it's the deep connection that we have spiritually mm-hmm. and emotionally and conversations we have that make us want to be together physically mm-hmm. and so I, uh, that's that's the thing that you want to help couples be able to connect with. What is connection? Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. know the brain is all in the brain. And we just did a, uh, a marriage retreat, and we started with equine therapy and explaining the connection in the brain. Can You're you explain li- equine therapy for someone who doesn't know what it is? We it's hor- it's where you journey with a horse. A horse can um, be a good partner and teaching you how to connect with uh, your own emotions mm-hmm. and we try not to use the word tool or something that implies that the, the horse is to be used because he's mm-hmm. he she horse is not to be used it's it's mm-hmm. um, an animal that is very mm-hmm. intelligent yeah. but its brain ho- is very similar to our brain. horses connect like we connect hmm. yeah they have the same desire to connect and the same need to connect uh, when you talk about the herd and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, either they're fighting among themselves or or, they're, or because they feel the connections are successful, they're really getting along together hmm. um, and, and behaving in a, herd, in a good herd-like manner. Yeah. And this yeah. isn't some, like, for those listening, this isn't some, like, voodoo mystic no, no. therapy. Yeah. This is very proven in psychology, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just so everyone knows. Uh, equine therapy, horse therapy is is often used with traumatized children mm-hmm. and adults mm-hmm. and uh, it's because sometimes you don't know what's going on in your body but mm-hmm. the brain is, is a excellent a tool to use with explaining connection with couples because mm-hmm. we need to get to our amygdala can mm-hmm. you explain that jim yeah well yeah so let's so let's not get off track here because okay um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I I think women, I think the really good thing, so, so back in 95 when Ro and I started actually being willing to talk about our brokenness, which was a sexual brokenness as well, um, nobody wanted to talk about it. No, the, the, you know, nobody wanted to talk about masturbation. Nobody wanted to talk mm-hmm. about looking at, nobody wanted to talk about looking at porn. Nobody wanted to talk about it. So right now I think the conversation I really like the fact that the conversation has come to where it is today, mm-hmm. where we actually can have this podcast, mm-hmm. and we're not getting kicked off the air or something like that, you know. <laughs> but so yeah. I think I'm really encouraged by the fact that there is a lot more conversation. And but I would say that you know I don't think women liking sex has changed. 
I think mm-hmm. they've liked sex all along. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think now they're more free to say, yeah, I like sex. And I, I just think it's more acceptable now for a woman to express her sexual desire, if you will, or, yeah. her, or her sexual need. And so that's really encouraging, I think. Yeah. I don't think that's changed at yeah. all. And something interesting, I think, and we talked a little bit about this before, is that if you study the first century, the Greco-Roman world, women were viewed as very like sexual beings. Um, <laughs> it was in a grating way in terms of they were over-sexual. Um, they couldn't control their passion. They couldn't control their desire for sex. But it, I think it probably switched in the Victorian era where women became almost asexual. They were temptress, but they didn't really like sex. Um, so we had this switch happen. And, and now it's cool, like you said, to see it in some ways a recapturing um, of like a female sexual being. But we're still not there yet, I think, in helping women almost enjoy sex. We know they like it now, but we're still not there in terms of helping them actually enjoy it because it's still very male-dominated in yeah. terms of pleasure. So I guess before we get into some of the specifics that I'm sure people want to know about or want a direct answer on it, can I do this or can I not do that? <laughs> um, what is maybe like one main takeaway from the Bible you would say about sex? We don't have to get into the nitty gritties, but what is maybe one thing you guys have learned from the Bible that has inf- like helped infer into your sexual lives? Well, one of the things I want to say right up front is that scripture is to be used all together. The whole, the whole counsel of God. No, just pick one verse, Old row, t- and just no, apply it. You don't take one verse out of context, and there is, you know, Jesus basically told us to love one another to. And the whole passage about sexuality really starts with um, submission and understanding one another and loving one mm-hmm. another. So I think that's where it has to begin. You have to re- recognize that your care for the other person needs to be more important than the care for your own body. You're telling me that when Proverbs 5.19 says, let her breast satisfy thee at all times, that we shouldn't just take that as this literal one-to-one. <laughs> I can well, use I, it now in my own life. I think that's a, that's a challenge to a man to find his wife as... <laughs> pleasing when she gets old and droopy (laughs) that's true that's true yeah um but yeah i don't know (laughs) anything else from the i mean the podcast has talked about the the bible and sexuality so we don't need to get into it that much but i was just wondering if there's anything that you guys have i mean you know you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free Mm -hmm. i mean on so many levels that verse yeah uh if I mean, we talk about one verse. I mean, but but that's the freedom. Then, uh, I mean, there's freedom. You know, biblically, I think there's freedom inside the relationship to have and be and mm-hmm. and, and do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. to to satisfy to have this relationship that you yeah. have. Uh, I mean, there's no one else you can have this committed, loving, uh, hard difficult, wonderful relationship with, mm-hmm. except this one person that you've committed to for yeah. the rest of your life. So. Yeah. And I think that's helpful as we transition into more, maybe some of the specific questions to show like, this is on a spectrum. <clears throat> the Bible isn't always giving you a to do's and to not to do's. No. Although there's some things in the Bible that there are to do's about, and there's some things to not to do's like in marriage, don't cheat <laughs> on your spouse. There's some clear like commands but for the most part, it's more of wisdom in terms of you deciding as a couple what is most loving yeah. for each of you. Um, so that's, I mean, will be a helpful guide as we go into specifics. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about orgasm. Um, and we won't get graphic. We'll talk sophisticated and <laughs> we'll use, you know, clinical terms or whatever. Um, so people aren't too uncomfortable. Um, but 
do men and women experience orgasm the same way? We've talked about this. The, the movies and porn makes it seem like it happens at the same time. But do men and women even experience orgasm in the exact same way? Well, I, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a clitoris, and Jim has a penis, and they react differently. And they're in some ways they're similar, but um, there's a lot to learn about the female body mm-hmm. and how a female has orgasm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not as simple as people think. There, it's actually when you read anything about uh, how we are created, you will find that there's a lot of sensitive spots and there's a lot more to it mm-hmm. and uh, same with the penis that mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot more uh, for the man to have an orgasm than just sticking it in and mm-hmm. um, so it's it's not something that I feel comfortable going into detail yeah. about but there yeah. are some the books that we recommend are not books that that most Christians recommend because most books don't really explain a lot Mm-mm. of things that Mm-mm. is fascinating and mm-hmm. uh, shows that we have a very imaginative God that mm-hmm. created two bodies mm-hmm. that are more than just yeah. uh, what we think it is. Well, I think it's cool that, that God didn't make it just this simple, almost insertion one-to-one way mm-hmm. of having sex. Like he almost allowed diversity Mm-hmm. within it as well I, I mean I know oh, a couple totally. a couple friends they're in their 40s now um, but on their honeymoon the guy was telling me that they started having sex and he was you know they were in the middle of intercourse and he's like why isn't this happening yet like why haven't I reached orgasm because he was told that that's all it requires mm-hmm. um, and so he thought that he was either a failure or that he married the wrong person because he had all these expectations why that, she hasn't or why he hadn't he, why he hadn't he had, um, interesting well, he just, I mean, he did eventually, but yeah. he was—he thought it'd be much faster than it was. He yeah. thought he was doing something wrong. Um, but, I mean, it gets to the point where it's its not just all of a sudden you have intercourse and then it works. Um, there's so much more that goes into that. There's so much that else plays into that. So maybe we can talk a little bit about foreplay. Um, what, what role does that play in it? Is sex just the intercourse orgasm act or is sex a much broader thing that requires foreplay and different kinds of things? You know, so so let me say that I think in the, our 44 years, I, I think maybe a half a dozen times we've had or an orgasm together where it's, mm-hmm. I mean, a ha- only a half a dozen, I mean, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's usually one before the other. And mm-hmm. my, and I we talked about this before we turned on the mic, <clears throat> about 20 years ago, I bumped into a book called She Comes First. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about, you know, Really, you're as a male. Your objective is for her to come first. Is for mm-hmm. her orgasm to start before yours does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once hers starts, because it goes on a lot longer than mm-hmm. yours, mm-hmm. the male. And so once hers starts, then you can you catch yeah. up, if you will. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, some psychology data facts for you listening. You guys can double check my facts, because obviously, me being a non <laughs> non sexually active person, <laughs> what do I know? Um, but most data suggests that men can get aroused within one to three minutes. Yeah. I mean, women need about seven to ten minutes. So, yeah. again, if you put her first, yeah. it's going to be slower, yeah. so it's going to draw out the process. Um, but if you're just thinking about yourself, you're not even going to get her right. um, even close. Mm-hmm. Right. So f- I, I think foreplay is essential. Uh, without it, I, I think it it just is... 
I'm pretty Frankly, sure we knew nothing about foreplay yeah. when we got married. Yeah, right. Absolutely nothing. Right. Nobody mm-hmm. had ever talked to us about sexual, having sex before we were married. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did it yeah. before we were married. I had I was not a virgin when I met Jim, and um, there was just so much much mis misinformation that we took into our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know. T- We've already kind of said this, but I just want to reiterate that you have an unconscious theology that is very present. Yes. And mm-hmm. you have got to understand what that is, especially young married people have to understand what their unconscious theology is and uh, what is what is driving their beliefs. And, mm-hmm. and what do you mean by that? That's where good premarital counseling What do you mean by help. that, unconscious theology? You, you, have a, you have a theology about sec- sexuality. Oh, yeah, you have right, an yeah. idea of what you think. God wants what you want, right. mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it's it's a lie. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, an unconscious theology that I had. So I've been studying psychology, but also personally studying like orgasm, the female orgasm, just so that I can be more helpful to people. Since I'm known <laughs> as, since I have a sex podcast, I'm known as someone you can talk to about sex. So I want to be educated. Um, but one of the unconscious beliefs I had that arose up was realizing once I realized um, by studying some things that women often, since they don't often experience orgasm when having sex with men, um, or at least in most relationships or in some relationships, they have to, in a sense, calm themselves down afterwards. Mm-hmm. You don't have the natural hormonal process of orgasm that helps calm you down. So you have to work a little harder, in a sense, to calm down compared to orgasm would do it for you. But then that got me thinking. Well, wait then, then women are having sex without orgasm. So they're not having sex. Is it just men having sex? And so I had to even get into the reality of Mm. I equated sex and orgasm as the same thing. No. That sex was orgasm. And if you didn't reach orgasm, then you didn't have sex. And maybe there's some truth in that where good sex, ideal sex um, is both achieving orgasm. But sex is a much greater process. Yes. It's not just the last 10 seconds or the last minute. It's it's a much bigger process, and this, that was an unconscious theology I had of that sex and orgasm were pretty much synonymous, <clears throat> and so it's just about the last ten minutes or the last ten seconds. Um, but realizing that okay, foreplay is a part of sex, you know, touching, being intimate, just being naked together—that's a part of sex. Um, although it doesn't always mean that you're going to reach orgasm. It's it's a whole bigger ball game um, than just the last little bit of it. You know, and I, <clears throat> I think because of our brokenness, when we first got married, on, and even the first twenty years, I mean, we had sex seldom, uh, but when we did, it was just intercourse, and mm-hmm. it was no foreplay really to speak of, and either because I think Roe felt obligated, mm-hmm. and because I had a need, it it ended up just being about my mm-hmm. orgasm, mm-hmm. just about mine, and so mm-hmm. then if that happened, then we were. I think she was even good. Oh, okay, we did that. Yeah. <clears throat> but you're right. I mean, there was no, not until 95 did she start having orgasms. And mm-hmm. then the whole thing shifted mm-hmm. in, in a major way. And, and uh, But I think that's the problem with a lot of married, young married couples is that, again, they have no idea. And the expectations there are, or what are the expectations? And they're, and they're really jacked up. You know, they're mm-hmm. not really healthy. And so... Because they're not talking about it, they're always talking about what's gonna what's gonna happen here. How's this gonna work, and mm-hmm. what's supposed to happen? What should happen? What do you want mm-hmm. to happen, and all that. So, and and uh, you may have talked about this in your purity culture, 
uh, <clears throat> podcast, but it, that includes when you grow up in a conservative Christian home and you're told sex is bad, sex is bad, has to be waited. You have to wait till you're married to enjoy it. So somehow a female and a male b- body shuts off and then the day mm-hmm. they get married, they're supposed to turn that back on. And we have counseled cu- couples that have come from that kind of families and it is it's a hard journey to try to figure out why their body doesn't react sexually Mm -hmm. and it's it's over my my ability to unpack Mm -hmm. but i do know that that is a true experience for a lot of Mm -hmm. christian women Mm -hmm. maybe not so much as hard for men but for women it really is yeah. Well, I mean, uh, thinking of men, uh, most men I know have started masturbating around the age of 12 to 15. So that means by the time they get married, so they get married at 25, that's 10 years of experience and you know how to get to orgasm yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so women, women normally experience masturbation at a much later age or some never experience it at all. Um, but they have maybe at max two to five years. But men are coming in as, in a sense, experts on their own orgasm. Hmm. Um, and women maybe don't even know how to get there at all. Yeah. Um, and so it's this weird kind of clashing of, one, being told to not be sexual until you're married. Two, that men are allowed to masturbate generally until they're married and women don't even do anything. And so there's this weird clashing of you have all these subconscious narratives and all of a sudden you're supposed to just turn it on. It's supposed to just come in harmony. It's like a puzzle piece just fits together and it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And then when that doesn't fit together, then normally it leads often the woman to just fake it or to pretend or just to view it as, no, this is just a him thing. Um, I just need to get him to orgasm. And mm-hmm. then that we completed sex success. Like, there we go. <laughs> like we did it. And I know several couples where the man has figured this out. And when he sees that the woman is just doing this for him um, and she's not into it and she's not going to have an orgasm, she, he's just kind of like, uh, I don't like, yeah. like I don't want to I don't want to keep going um, if this is just like a duty or an obligation kind yeah. of thing. And so it's interesting. So I guess a question off of that. And we talked about this a little bit. But is there only, I mean, this is a funny question, but is there only one position for sex? Is there a biblical (laughs) position, like sexual position? Is it missionary? Because, you know, Christian missionaries, apostolos means missionary, means sent out one. So does that mean that that's the only way we can have sex? Um, And if you don't know what missionary is, it's when the man is on top. Um, So I know a lot of couples think there might be only one biblical way of having sex. Well, I think both Jim and I believe that that is not the, not the truth. That <laughs> just the one verse, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, I don't know what the actual word for defiled means. I should have looked it up in Greek before I actually refer to that verse. But there is there is an overarching theme that we are have freedom with one another's bodies. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think there is one position, plus that your body changes as you age. And some positions give more pleasure than others, mm-hmm. and you have to recognize that. And then there's just some trauma that has happened that can cause uh, some kinds of positions that are uncomfortable. There's 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 just so much more to it than mm-hmm. to to answer that question. I I think there's freedom as long as both people understand yeah. it and they're talking about mm-hmm. it, and that includes anal sex because. We have had couples that have talked to us about that, and it's a big question. It is a big question, yeah. And <clears throat> anal sex is is painful for women. I know that from working with Treasures Women, and because they've been forced to do that in the porn industry. Uh, I don't know that because I have not experienced it, but 
and then some of the couples that we've known one in particular that the husband really that's what he wanted he didn't want mm -hmm. anything else and um sometimes women will just do what the husband wants instead yeah. of what really let's talk through what this means for me and mm -hmm. so that's it needs to be mutual yeah well, and especially since there's, I mean, you get into the anatomy of it, there's nothing necessarily pleasurable about anal sex for women. So for you as a male to want that and even to maybe force that through, I mean, you're never going to force it, force it, but no. in terms of talking or right. manipulation, why? Like if this is your cherished, loved partner, <clears throat> why are you putting them through an act that brings no pleasure um, yeah. in any biological way? other than just yourself. To me, it's a very selfish act. Again, I'm not saying that you can't have it. I'm not saying that this is completely off bounds, um, but it is one of the positions where I'm just like, that has to be a discussion mm -hmm. that this is a both voluntary, desirous wanting. Um, but it's it's hard because there is no <laughs> biological reason mm -hmm. um, in terms of pleasure for yeah. it. So and, and So in that regard, I'd say the question is, in the process of having a sexual relationship with your spouse, the question is, you know, wow, I wonder if that would, how that would be, how, you know, and let's try it, and then how is that for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, so it's yeah. a, it's an experimentation, if you will, that I, I think it's it's delightful to be able to experiment. Yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, some things, well, that didn't work very well, mm -hmm. <laughs> or that mm -hmm. didn't feel very good. Yeah. Or, but I have or, to ask that, you know, it makes me wonder if, at least with between a male and a female, um, anal sex is probably coming from a porn yeah. addiction. Yeah, right. I'm, and I'm not talking Maybe about... Maybe not I, always, I but... Would not, myself, I'm not interested in anal sex at all. Mm -hmm. And I, it just... Yeah, I'm just not interested. It's definitely, yeah. I would argue, probably definitely coming from porn. And if it's not, yeah. then it's a curiosity thing. But that curiosity mm -hmm. should be squashed as soon as you realize, yeah. Yeah. you know, maybe this isn't something you want. And it, again, yeah. it's... The Bible, I think when the Bible talks about for Christians, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I mm -hmm. think you don't want to take that directly over to yeah. the sexual relationship, but I think that can be a helpful marker where it's not necessarily a sin, but is this actually beneficial for your relationship? Yeah. Is this actually something that's mutually good for you guys? And if it's not, then just because it's permissible doesn't mean you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so what about what about other forms of sex? I know... Some Christians think you should only have intercourse, but there's oral sex, there's mutual masturbation. And again, I'm not asking for a black and white <laughs> answer, um, but how should we be even thinking about these other things? Um, are they okay? Are they allowed? What role should they play in the sexual relationship? Well, I did mention the book, She Comes First. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And honestly, that book is primarily about oral sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how to how to do mm -hmm. how to give one woman oral sex mm -hmm. uh, to, actually to orgasm yeah and so the guy does a really great job of describing the process and and uh, and all that so you know I I would say um, yeah whatever you know I I I think there's there again I think there can be freedom and what happens in the bedroom as long as there's a mutual agreement that this is good for their marriage but we have canceled couples where the husband would rather watch the wife have sex with a, a glass penis than his own mm -hmm. and i i think when we have those kind of situations um there has to be some conversation about yeah. where is this coming from yeah what's underneath that yes you know? and the fact that 
I also want to just add that when someone spends a lot of time masturbating, female and male, they they can become um, addicted to that kind of pleasure, giving mm-hmm. themselves pleasure instead of letting somebody mm-hmm. else give them pleasure. Mm-hmm. And the whole, I think the whole purpose of sexuality is for us to connect and have to and have to communicate mm-hmm. and have to learn about one another mm-hmm. and that is what God wants in all relationships. Mm-hmm. And we might not be having sexual relationships with other people, but he wants us to learn how to see and know other people and connect and the sexual expression is just a further way of connection. So mm-hmm. you're you're skipping a lot of steps if you allow yourself to masturbate all the time. Yeah. And I mean, we've had masturbation conversations our whole married life because mm-hmm. that has been something that we both have experienced. We've both, and we've, uh, you know, our own sexual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had to talk about it. So yeah. I think there's some understanding that we've that has come because we have actually experienced that. Yeah. And, and we've talked to a lot of couples that have experienced it. And I, I would agree. I, I think fetish is, I mean, if you have a fetish, if, the, if the, it's about a fetish, then there the question is what's underneath that i mean mm-hmm. wh- what's really going on here mm-hmm. it's and it's more about you than us right mm-hmm. together as a couple and so yeah um and it doesn't mean that a fetish means that it's sinful or bad or no. wrong but but there's it, it's about you it, probably yeah, more than about the pleasure or the mutuality of the there's other there's something going on here and where did it come from when did it start why did it start what triggers mm-hmm. it all those questions are worth exploring together, mm-hmm. which will then only take you deeper into your own relationship, your your relationship with your spouse, and and into better sex. Then, because yeah. you know, I think I don't think it push comes to shove. I don't think it is a, a about the fetish at all. It's about mm-hmm. you know, what is mm-hmm. what am I missing? Yeah. What well, I, what don't I know about myself? Yeah. You well, know? you're reading Unwanted right now, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so in in Jay Stringer's book, he talks a little bit about. What is the most erotic position, sexual thing that you can think of, whether you've seen in porn or whatever? What is it to you that gets you the most eroticized? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's been helpful in my journey. I won't get into specifics because I don't want to <laughs> share too much. Um, but in, in realizing for me what the the porn that I used to watch and what was the most eroticizing to me, yeah. um, diving into, okay, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? Is there yeah. something about power underneath that? Is there something about belonging underneath that? Is, yeah. there, is it me repeating sexual shame from the past or sexual trauma or my first sexual experience, yeah. whether that was abuse or whatever? Yeah. So it's, it's helpful to actually even know your own story to know what am I most desiring in the sexual relationship because yeah. there might be a different dynamic underneath it. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you were just saying that, Colton, I, I, I think that as I look back on our sexual journey together, I think a lot of my sexual dysfunction and even Rose's sexual dysfunction can be traced back to the abuse, mm-hmm. the sexual abuse that we had as, as mm-hmm. kids. And, you know, whatever happens there or happened in that uh, keeps coming up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and so then it's another invitation to, okay, what, what's really going on there and, yeah. you know, why is that still hanging on and so yeah. forth. And so it's a matter of just like God, his, I think it's his tender, caring love for us to, to want us to want to walk us through that healing process all the way to the end, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, and make it right. Can and, I test a theory off of you guys? <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is a theory I have. Okay. 
So thinking about the sexual relationship, I, I consider it similar to the Christian relationship with mm-hmm. God in terms of instead of viewing it as a way of do's and don'ts, this parameters, these blockings of you can't do this, you can only do this, um, but rather a different way to kind of herd cattle or, or herd sheep is put the put the well in the middle of mm-hmm. where you want them to be and, and they'll slowly move towards it. So there's an ideal and we're trying to move towards the ideal, but we're not always there. It doesn't mean we're necessarily bad or wrong, but there's an ideal. Mm-hmm. And so with, with sex, I, I've been pondering a lot and talking to a lot of my couple of friends who are having sex and, and thinking through an ideal of like, maybe there is an ideal sexual position, not saying it's a have to, but the, anything that has a lot of skin on skin contact and eye contact, that is maybe more ideal in the sexual relationship. Not saying that that's somehow better, but there's something maybe more intimate about that. Um, than other types of positions. I don't know if that's true (laughs) in sexual relationships, but just thinking out loud, is more skin contact, eye on eye, is there something that's seemingly more intimate about that than other types of sexual kind of roles or positions or different things? Or is it all intimate and all connecting? Well, that's that's kind of interesting because Jim and I have more eyes open yeah. together than we've ever had mm-hmm. and we never had that when first 20 years probably first 30 years it's probably been more than the last 15 10 12 years of open eyes uh skin on skin absolutely you're you need uh in fact when marriages have problems with sexuality they often will recommend that you just lay naked together mm-hmm. and the more you can touch skin on skin yeah. The more you can connect, and we know that from babies too. Yeah, that's that's where I'm. Some of this theory yeah. is yeah. rooted in, and just knowing Absolutely. how attunement works in yeah. children and, and taking into the sexual relationship. Yeah. yeah, but other than that, other than skin on skin, I don't think necessarily maintaining eye contact all the time. Or yeah, and not in like a weird way of any staring of that, or any of that other. <laughs> but I'm just saying something that allows for more yeah. kind of communication that allows for more interaction. Yeah, but naked and un- unashamed that's yeah. talked about Genesis 1 really gives a picture that you're okay with having your eyes open once in a while. And yeah. uh, there's a freedom to be naked and unashamed that your bodies, no matter if they're fat or skinny or flat-chested mm-hmm. or um, mutilated in some way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's beauty. Yeah. And yeah. and we oftentimes we talk about proximity. Mm-hmm. Proximity mm-hmm. is really important in relationship. You know, I can have a long distance relationship, but if it's, I mean, it, oh, only for a while, oh, only yeah. for so long, you yeah. know. And so proximity is really important. So if you're skin on skin, you're you're really proximity mm-hmm. is there's not there's yeah. it's right there. And so yeah. I don't think if you're laying in bed together naked, you, I mean, it's that's where it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just whatever happens. Yeah, is I don't think it's the whole thing is. Yeah, is gonna make and it's it not work. that you have to every time you're together in the bedroom you have to have skin on skin and no. be naked and have sex. It's, but I'm saying more of just like there's a maybe a more intimate. I don't even know if that's a good word for it. Um, but yeah, that's just a theory I have. So, <laughs> but I can't test it no, out. No, yeah, yet, you, so. you need to have. <laughs> You need to get married and have five years of sex, and then then let's tell, and then come back and tell us. What do you mean? What My you theories think, yeah. are foolproof. I'm 24 years old. I know everything. Um, okay, so one last question before we maybe get into some more bigger idea, hope questions to kind of close it out. Um, how should Christians? And again, we're not speaking black and white. We're not offering necessarily like advice on exactly what you should do. But how should Christians be thinking about sexual enhancers, whether that is sexual toys, whether that is different ways of lubrication or different things? How should we be thinking about these things? I'm sure there's different answers for each one. Um, but generally, how should we be thinking about sexual enhancers? 
Well, I don't, I don't know if you can do sex without lubrication. Frankly, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, I think you can. I think it's naive to think that you can do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it, it doesn't. I Especially mean, it, when a woman goes through menopause. Yeah. Your body changes. Yeah, this doesn't. the The glands don't work as readily mm-hmm. as bodies get older, and and so I mean, I think when you're young, there's there's a, an abundance of lubricating fluid that that's available, mm-hmm. but it's less and less as you get older. Mm-hmm. And, and but even then, as you're, when you're young, I think if you're if you are spending time in floor play, and if you are rubbing her clitoris mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. You got to use lubrication. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one thing. The only thing I would add to that is that we are, live in a an era where people are more aware of dominatrix, which is the the bondage, the S and M. Yes, and um, that's using some kind of tool to tie somebody up, or a mm-hmm. whip, or mm-hmm. abuse of some sort. And mm-hmm. again, I've learned a lot from women coming out of the sex industry where they've worked at a dominatrix club. And mm-hmm. there's a, quite a few of them here in L.A. and Orange mm-hmm. County. Mm-hmm. Not a lot in Orange County, but L.A. Well, and just for some porn statistics, uh, rape-type scenes, yes. more mm-hmm. abusive-type scenes, aggression-violence-type scenes are growing in percentage of watching. And even it's growing even yes. more steadily among women who are watching porn. So yeah. it's that's that question right there is not going away. Yes, of how it's we not going away. This. And again, well, we have to go back to what's what's going on with you that you want that. You yeah. know, this. Um, well, I, I don't think it's okay to be violent in a situation, even if it gives you a high. I think there's mm-hmm. going to be a story behind. Yeah. Why you're doing that, and the, both partners have to understand what's going on in the room. And. But let's be sure. I I think that if you're using violence as a way to uh, experience mm-hmm. your feelings mm-hmm. and to, you know is or it, domination or, or, or the yeah. only way that you can experience your feelings then then the question is well what's underneath that yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, you have to unpack that mm-hmm. you can't just say well it's okay for me to be violent uh, so that I can feel no mm-hmm. that's not that's not okay mm-hmm. if you are violent so that you can feel then what the question is what's underneath that yeah because uh, yeah yeah I don't think the sexual ex- sexual activity or sexual expression was meant to be about do- dominance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's meant to be about mutual yes. pleasure mutual. And, and mutual, mutual respect submission. Yeah. and submission. submission yeah. yeah, which I, I think is why I really did not enjoy Fifty Shades of Grey. I didn't see it, but in terms of what it was doing, because it— Again, not to demonize anyone who has into S and M or has done S and M or has done more bondage type of thing. We don't want to demonize you or make you feel utmost shame about no, it. But no. that movie made it seem like it was just these two. I don't want to use the word normal, but just this is a pure motivated kind of thing. This is just a natural desire we all have is to to be dominated and be physically hurt in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we actually need to take a step back and think of, okay, what's underneath? There's probably a power dynamic here. There's probably maybe even an abuse thing. There, there's something underneath this. And I haven't seen – I've seen parts of the movie, but, I mean, it, his position in their relationship was about his money. Yes. He couldn't have done what he did unless he had all that money, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, it's a power thing. I mean, money is power, right? Or, mm-hmm. So And sex is even power and, in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, right. And, so, and, I, and I believe in the third book, uh, and again, I didn't read the books, but I know other people that did, 
they unpack his story and his his childhood was full of abuse. Hmm. Well, that's helpful then. I yeah. mean, showing that this is there's a reason for this. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, they don't. They don't tie that to why he does what he does. I don't yeah. think. But <laughs> I'd have to somehow unconnected. But here's his backstory. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess a question from all of this is. Say a couple's listening to this, they're about to get married or they have been married, but they, they're still struggling or trying to figure things out. How do you set sexual expectations in a, in a marital relationship? I don't think you should set expectations in your sexual relationship. Good. I think there should be no expectations. There should, there should be um, well, it's an a expo- place to be a- able to talk about it. It's an exploration. It's an exploration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not an expectation. It's an ex. Okay, so let's explore what we can do together to pl- please each other yeah. and to have this thing that God has given us. And that's where fights start when you have expectations. Yeah. He mm-hmm. expects to have sex seven days a week, and she expects to have it once. And that's usually one of the questions they ask when you do <laughs> premaritals: How often do you think you're going to have sex? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's usually not the same between male female. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and even the kinds of sex you're yeah, quote exactly. unquote expecting to have right. Yeah. yeah right yeah that's good and I asked expectations in terms of like not how much sex should you be expecting but what what should you be thinking even going into a marital relationship and how should that play out um, so what what do you think the most important thing if they could take away one thing from this whole episode <laughs> what is maybe the most important thing you think they should take home <clears throat> I think the most important thing is for them to be curious about their own story, hmm. curious about how they've been shaped to view sexuality and how they have been shaped to view the opposite sex and and really be curious about why they came to, to be who they are today. Mm-hmm. And finding there's a lot of good books to read about, read about your own story to understand sexuality from a healthy perspective and... <clears throat> So be a be a student, learn. Yeah, and I would reiterate that. I'd also say, from a male's perspective, be a student of the of your wife's orgasm. Hmm, that's good. And and what that looks like, and what that what what's required. What yeah. what, what does it take to get her to the place where she's having an orgasm? Hmm. Can I tell one personal story? <laughs> of course. <laughs> what are you gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> so. I didn't, you know, I always wanted to have sex in the living room. And and finally, Jim told me that, you know, he was molested in the living room hmm. on a particular kind of chair. Mm-hmm. And that's why it has always been hard for him to mm-hmm. have sex in the living room. And that's not something he told me the first 20 years of marriage. That's something he's told me in the last 10 years. So hmm. that just is a picture of how much our bodies carry memory. And there's so much to how we've been shaped in childhood. Yeah. It's important, important communication points to be able to mm-hmm. talk through what's going on. Well, I can imagine so many couples, you know, one would ask, can we have sex in this place or in this position or whatever? And the other partner just subconsciously reacts strongly against that. Yeah. And it will lead to fights and discord <clears throat> yeah, because exactly. they don't know each other's Instead story. of talk. Yeah. yeah. So maybe in all of this, um, the church is hopefully a part of a lot of these Christians' lives. Um, it's becoming less and less more so, um, which is discouraging in some ways, but also I'm totally understanding in other ways. But 
how can the church come alongside couples um, in their pursuits of kind of a healthy sex life? I absolutely think that the male pastor needs to stop providing premarital advice without his wife in the room. Hmm. That they need to be doing it together. It it should not be male dominated. Hmm. And that is, to me, that is offensive. Mm-hmm. I would agree. <laughs> Anything else? Because I, <laughs> well, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I think most churches are the, there's a pastor that's giving premarital advice. Yeah. And or doing premarital. Chances. Well, and just even for the woman sitting in the room, there's certain things she might want to bring up yeah. or yeah. want to talk about that she just doesn't yeah. feel comfortable because he's he's there and she's yeah. afraid he might take the husband's side or might only yeah. not see her perspective and Absolutely. So, yeah. And if if they can't do it together, then they shouldn't be doing it. They should find a couple that feels free to talk about their own experience. They don't have to be mm-hmm. uh don't have to share details, but um it has I mean, been very I, valuable for us to talk together, yeah. couples. And uh, ideally, I mean, the church has not done a good job. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. It's and I, it, it, will it ever be able to do a good job? I I really don't think so, frankly. Hmm. If if I if and so what we've done we and it just happened. You know, we had a it started we started doing premarital with couples because one couple said, "Hey, would you guys do our premarital for us?" And so we said well yeah let's try this and so mm-hmm. we we put together six sessions and and they came to our house we mm-hmm. in our living room you know one one couple mm-hmm. on one couple mm-hmm. and and we had usually the uh, the sessions were 2 hours long sometimes 3 and and then six times i mean so mm-hmm. that's a different whole different ball game than yeah. what generally happens in premarital and outside of a premarital situation counseling session at a church uh, I mean, I don't know what else goes on mm-hmm. in church aside from that, yeah. right? What, and they're not nobody's talking about sex from mm-hmm. the pulpit. Well, they're talking about gay sex right now. That's right. a big topic. But I mean, that's they're it. not talking about, even about yeah. the mechanics of gay mm-hmm. sex. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's talking about the mechanics mm-hmm. of it. And you know, so when we get to session six, we actually talk about the mechanics mm-hmm. of sex with this this couple, and and so, which is probably <clears throat> you know the first time they've ever had a conversation about that. You know, outside of <clears throat> maybe they're friends you know over yeah. a beer or something but yeah. anyway i mean so I, I so i don't even know if it's meant to be inside the church frankly because mm-hmm. it's such an intimate conversation yeah and well i don't even yeah when i think of like the church and having sexual conversations i mean premarital counseling wasn't a thing in jesus's time yeah. um yeah. <laughs> like one because the marriages were all re- arranged so it didn't matter right. um in that regard but i think it's because if you look at the song of solomon the sexual relationship is being spoken into by all the friends. Like there's three voices. There's the the, oh, yeah. the male, the female, and then the friends. Um, and so the hope is that we don't need premarital counseling because couples are naturally just in relationship with couples like you guys. Right. And they're naturally just coming over for dinner once a week. Right. And so as they're preparing to get married, the questions come up and you guys have those three-hour conversations around food. Right. And that would be my hope that it's not necessarily done in a building. And it's funny you bring up the pastor thing because if – I'm thinking of pastors, and I think the reason their wife often isn't in the room is because if their wife is in the room, they'd realize, man, we probably shouldn't be doing premarital. But the pastor's just doing it anyway because he's a pastor. <laughs> yeah, right, and so right. I'm like, why are you, who's struggling in his marriage, doesn't know good work-life balance, yeah. and hasn't had sex for the last three months, why are you the one that counseling this right. premarital couple um, on what marriage is going to be like when you, for the most part, are really good at your church work mm-hmm. but are really crappy at your marriage? Right. Um, so my hope for the church is that 
yeah, it wouldn't be happening maybe in the buildings because um, I don't know yeah, of in yeah. a building corporate sense it could really happen, but that the church would be so rooted in good relationships that right. hopefully right. these conversations can happen. And the people who can, the couples who can have that conversation with younger couples mm-hmm. are obvious. They, mm-hmm. Everybody, oh yeah, if you want, if you're looking for somebody to talk to, they're the ones. <laughs> Row and Jim are the sex couple. You or, can talk or, to or there's a, a half a dozen of us, mm-hmm. you know, that are mm-hmm. that are in the church that are identified as safe people to have this conversation with. Well, and, and I think the, the tragedy is, and not to blame the older generations, but there's not many that have worked through their own stuff. Of course. And yeah. so yeah. if you haven't worked through your stuff, you're not going to, it's just you're, the same reason parents don't talk to their kids about yeah. sex. It's because they haven't worked through their own stuff, so they're scared about it. Right. So then therefore we don't have all these wise older couples right. mentoring these younger couples because we don't have older, wiser couples because right. they haven't worked through their stuff. Yeah. Any last words on sex before we close it out? <laughs> You get the last last words of maybe this whole podcast. <laughs> Have sex as much as you can <laughs> in the confines of marriage. Uh, I, I'm just grateful, Colton, that you decided to do this yeah. Hope Project. I think there's a, a lot more that can be discussed in oh, yeah. being sexual beings. And you've, you've started the conversation and you've been faithful to it. And I think it's great that you've done that. <laughs> All of them, I, I, I think... You know, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking about me being your age. How old are you? Twenty four. Twenty four. And if I was said to myself at twenty four, oh yeah, Jim, when you're in your late sixties, you're going to be on a podcast. You're going to be talking about <laughs> sex. I'm going. No, I'm not. You know, and I'm just surprised, honestly, to be here. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I mean, God is so gracious and yeah. and so good to me, and has been good to us, mm-hmm. even though we've had. A rough start. The first twenty years was really rough. Um, I mean, it's and it's not easy even now, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just amazed that I here mm-hmm. I am here we are sitting here yeah. talking about this with you, yeah. and uh, and that we have had the privilege of being able to have this conversation with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a gift that God has given us. Yeah, and and. Um, it's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. When I, I think of a lot of, I know there's 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds listening to this podcast, maybe even older. I know my grandma listens to it. But a lot of people, it, it's kind of like, I'm 45, this is who I am. And we've talked about this with family of origin, different things. But you guys, you know, maybe the first 20 years weren't great in a lot of ways. No. But that actually gives people hope because it's like, hey, you can still change. Like yeah. You still have a lot of life left. Even oh. if you only have five years left, that's a lot of time. <clears throat> And you can still become a beacon of hope for the younger generation. And so I, I want more couples to be like you two, where I'm not asking them to be perfect from the age of 24 onward, um, or to be a voice of things, but at any age you can turn around and actually be a voice of hope and change. Um, but I know so many older people that are just succumb to, this is how I am, this is how my marriage is, it sucks, but my kids are okay, yeah. so let me just move on. Like Your kids still need you to grow and transform as you get older, yeah. and the church needs you um, to yeah. grow and transform. So my advice is become more like Rowan Jim. <laughs> oh, great. No, become more like... Uh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good good way to end. Go more like Jesus. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. This has been great. We hope that Roe and Jim's words today encouraged you in your sex life, reframed how you view sex, and ultimately gave you hope for your sexual relationship. And in all these things, we hope that you can talk to someone about this. 
don't take this conversation and feel like you figured it all out or that they gave you enough advice or that you can just do this alone. Talk to your spouse, talk to your partner, talk to older, wiser couples or other couples your age who are healthy in their sexual lives. Just don't do this alone. That's our one request is that you bring people in um, and you talk about it. And so with all this, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.